It depends on what your definition of imminent is. The lead starts right now. Right now, the Trump administration about to brief congressional leaders on the intelligence behind the president's decision to kill the top military leader of Iran. As President Trump minutes ago said, Soleimani was in Iraq on, quote, bad business. Also breaking today, Majority Leader McConnell says he has the votes to set the rules for President Trump's impeachment trial. Does that mean the public will not hear from John Bolton, even if Bolton seems to want to testify. Plus, double disaster, Puerto Rico dealing with the aftermath of the most destructive earthquakes to hit the island, possibly in a century. And now questions about what is being done to help the people who are still struggling after Hurricane Maria. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin with breaking news in the world lead. Any moment, Republican and Democratic leaders of Congress and the heads of the intelligence committees, a group collectively called the Gang of Eight, are set to be briefed by Trump administration officials on the intelligence behind what President Trump claims was an imminent threat to Americans, evidence that led the president to make his decision to kill Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. Several Democrats already briefed have expressed deep skepticism about the evidence presented so far, specifically on how imminent the threat was. This afternoon, the president defended his decision but failed to provide any actual evidence. We followed his path for those three days, and they were not good stops. We didn't like where he was stopping. They were not good stops. We saved a lot of lives. We did ourselves and we did a lot of countries a big favor. The call for the Trump administration to produce clear evidence of these pending attacks comes in an important context. The American public has been fed falsehoods by its government many times when it comes to war, including, of course, in Vietnam, the non-existent weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and most recently, stunning revelations in The Washington Post's Afghanistan papers in which leaders were revealed to have been lying about the progress being made in America's longest war. Moreover, of course, this is a president and an administration that have not exactly earned a reputation for hewing to facts and accuracy in matters large or small. As CNN's Alex Marquardt now reports, US American forces in the Middle East are currently on high alert, looking out for possible Iranian drone and missile strikes. There's been much made about this question of intelligence and imminence. With pressure growing, the Trump administration's top national security officials in a media blitz today, doing interviews and rare news conferences, but offering few more details about the attacks that Qasem Soleimani was allegedly planning that were, they say, imminent. I think it was only a matter of of days, uh, certainly no more than weeks. Secretary of Defense Mark Esper only telling CNN's Christian Amanpour that the intelligence about the attacks was persuasive. The fact of the matter is, uh, Soleimani was caught red-handed on the ground in Baghdad. One terrorist leader of a terrorist organization meeting with another terrorist leader uh, to synchronize and plan additional attacks on American forces, diplomats, or facilities. Esper also issuing a blunt warning ahead of an anticipated Iranian response. I'd like to say we are not looking to start a war with Iran, but we are prepared to finish one. Still being fiercely debated is whether the United States would hit Iranian cultural sites if they respond against U.S. targets, which would be a war crime. The president has said multiple times this week that he would, but today adding he likes to obey the law. But think of it. They kill our people. They blow up our people. Then we have to be very gentle with their cultural institutions. But I'm okay with it. It's okay with me. 
I will say this. If Iran does anything that they shouldn't be doing, they're going to be suffering the consequences, and very strongly. When pressed, Pompeo and Esper both saying the U.S. will not violate international law. I'm fully confident that the president is not going to, the commander in chief will not give us an illegal order. As Soleimani's casket arrived in his hometown today, crowds of mourners swelled and a stampede left at least 50 dead, delaying the burial. Iran has warned of harsh revenge against the U.S., insisting today that America's days are numbered in the Middle East. This is state terrorism. This is an act of aggression against Iran. And it amounts to an armed attack against Iran. And we will respond. The president revealing today they had been tracking Soleimani for what he called a long time, including in those three days before the strike. He had been traveling around the Middle East and had just been in the Syrian capital of Damascus before flying to Baghdad, where he was killed. And it was in Damascus, Jake, according to the National Security Advisor, that Soleimani was working on the plans to kill those American forces and diplomats. Jake. All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Uh, let's talk about all this. Uh, chairman Rogers, let me start with you. You used to be chairman of the House Intelligence uh, Committee. So theoretically, that would have been you in the briefing right now. What would you have wanted uh, the Trump administration to produce if you were in there right now? Well, I just I want to see the totality of the information. I'm a, I'm a little suspect of the imminent piece, and I'm not even sure they had to do that. You know he has planned attacks against Americans and successfully killed them. He was currently planning to kill Americans. As a matter of fact, the American that got killed about a month ago. The contractor. Absolutely. At yeah. the hands of Suleimani and his cronies. And he's going to continue to do it. So was the compelling case that he was getting ready for something bigger in Damascus, coming to Baghdad? Uh, I would argue yes. He was with a, a, a gentleman, uh, Muhandis, by the way who was on the target list for the United States during the Iraq war, including the Obama administration, basically warned the Iraqis if he comes back from Iran, he won't go home. Mm -hmm. And so he's right with the right mix of people to do really bad things. I just think they have to make the case that this, this was getting ramped up. It was going to get you know a day or two, and I think Pompeo said that. If it's two days or ten days, does it make a difference? My argument is probably not, but you're going to have to define what that looks like and why you decided to make that decision should be compelling. Now, they are being presented with more detailed uh, intelligence and evidence than has been presented to members of Congress so far. Take a listen, uh, Nayara, to Congresswoman uh, Jackie Spears. She's a Democrat. She has reviewed some intelligence, not the the more thorough stuff that's being presented today. Um, She said uh, it's vague. Take a listen. I think that this will go down in history as an epic foreign policy blunder by the president of the United States. I can't say that it was uh, persuadable. It was vague. Vague. Schiff says, he's the chairman of the Intelligence Committee now, uh, that what he saw so far, and again, he's going to be seeing more detailed stuff uh, now, but he told me there was a lack of detail in terms of the plotting and imminence Um, What do you make of this so far? And that's the big question is the why now? Because we've known for a long time that Soleimani, who's the bad guy, he's a terrorist, even though he is a government official in Iran, was. Uh, He, you know, somebody that was being tracked by the back in the Bush administration. But the option of exercising an assassination now um, after what? Uh, What was the what was the imminent uh, precipitating event that leads to this level of escalation, followed by then 
the nation's chief diplomat, Secretary of State Pompeo, going out and, and being very belligerent in his rhetoric and really amping up the rhetoric and the tension, it seems more that the administration is trying to build a narrative to sell a very skeptical American public on ongoing Iranian intervention. And you hear that some of that rhetoric in uh, the type of shock and awe uh, of like how we'll hit back, we'll hit back hard. We're not going to. We heard Secretary Esper today. Finally, the Secretary of Defense is speaking out. Heard him say that the United States isn't going to start a war, but it will end it. The American public hears that and thinks we've had 20 years of war that we haven't done a good job of ending. So what is the end game here and how are we going to end up safer in this situation? Because right now we're looking at U.S. Uh, targets in civilian targets overseas, diplomats, our allies, companies. This has been an escalation that unfortunately largely has been on the United States. Kareem, uh, as somebody who's an expert on the region, tell me what the, what the pluses and minuses are. Obviously, we all agree uh, Qasem Soleimani was a horrible person responsible for the deaths of, of hundreds, if not thousands, of innocent people. Um, why not take him out? What is the risk? What, what would the debate look like? Well, first, let me talk about the costs. Uh, I think in the near term, what we've seen over the last couple of months in the Middle East is that there was growing anti-Iranian sentiment, protests in Lebanon against Iran's role, protests against Iran's role in Iraq, and protests within Iran uh, that, for now, has been shut down. I think that... Now they're all protesting the U.S. They're protesting the U.S. And within Iran, the regime elites have, have, have banded together. But if we look at the Middle East over the last several decades, major events which happened, whether it was the U.S. invasion of Iraq or the 2011 Arab Spring, we know that it takes many years to oftentimes measure their impact. And so there is an argument to be made that we've taken out Iran's most brilliant military strategists, and this is going to limit Iran's ability to play a malign role in the region in the years to come. But so much of foreign policy is just execution. And it's not at all clear that the Trump administration has a strategy to uh, for, for the day after this and the months after this. And then, of course, uh, President Trump uh, uh, was asked today about his threat, his very clear threat made once on Twitter and once uh, in person on Air Force One uh, to threaten to attack Iranian cultural sites. Uh, take a listen to what he had to say just a few minutes ago. I like to obey the law, but think of it. They kill our people, they blow up our people, and then we have to be very gentle with their cultural institutions. But I'm okay with it. It's okay with me. How do you, how do you read all of this? I mean, it's, we had Pompeo and Esper both saying we're going to abide by the law. Uh, the president saying I like to obey the law. It's obviously against the law, against international law, to attack cultural sites. Right. At this point, he seems to be backing off. As you said, he tweeted originally that there were 52 sites, some of them cultural, and then said it in person. And now, given what Esper has said, given what Pompeo said as well, it seems like he is paying attention to the blowback and essentially saying he won't, he will abide by the law, which says that you can attack these cultural sites, which just aren't Iranian cultural sites, right? They're everybody's cultural sites. Mm -hmm. they're, they're the world. Uh, cultural sites. Iran, Iran is a is a culture that goes back thousands of years. Uh, people go and visit those sites from all over the world because they're a testament uh, to, to what humanity has built up over these thousands of years. So they don't just belong to Iran. Uh, they belong to all of us. So, you know, interesting that the president uh, finally, after a couple of days, and insisting that it was fair game, is backing off. I suppose that can be counted as progress of some sort. Uh, coming up next, the new U.S. intelligence on Iran that may have led defense officials to put American forces on high alert. Plus, Senate Majority Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he has the votes to move forward on an impeachment trial. Are Democrats out of options now? Stay with us. Uh, I think some of you already written this. 
In our Worldly Today, officials tell CNN that American troops and missile defenses are now on high alert after U.S. intelligence showed Iran moving military equipment, including drones and ballistic missiles, over the last few days. CNN's Tom Foreman joins me now live. Tom, what exactly are these weapons and how far can they hit? Jake, what we know is that Iran has really stepped up the development of drones similar to this model for reconnaissance, for surveillance, and importantly, for air-to-ground attack. That from a very recent Pentagon report. Let's look at a specific model that we know that they have, the Shaheb-129. This is capable of flying up to 24,000 miles, uh, 24,000 feet up in the sky, more than 12 hundred miles away from where it launches and staying up there for 24 hours at a time. More importantly, look at what it can carry. It can carry four of these anti-tank missiles. Some sources say as many as eight. They are laser guided so they can go right after their target. And what that means is that Iran, with these weapons, could have a huge sphere of influence over U.S. interests and allies in the region. So much so that just last month in Congress, military leaders were asked about reports that some of these drones have already been seen over U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria and Jordan. Military leaders said they have some ability to mitigate this danger, but they do not feel that they have the ability to eliminate the threat. That, they say, would be a false statement. So Iran, much smaller military, but this is still a very real threat. Jake? And Tom... Talk about the idea of Iran calling on its proxies, uh, terrorist groups, militias, other forces in the region, and using them to strike the U.S. Yeah, many analysts think that's just as likely as the idea that Iran itself might try to strike, that they would reach out to the Shia militias out there, Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis down south, and they would say, look, we want you to go after American interests. What that could turn into is a lot of attacks coming at embassies and troops and economic targets all throughout the region from a lot of different directions, all with the intelligence help, the logistical help, and even weapons from Iran to get the job done. Jake? Any number of possibilities. Tom Foreman in our virtual room. Thank you so much. Joining me now, retired Major General James Spider Marks, also former CIA counterterrorism official uh, Phil Mudd. Phil, let me start with your um, intelligence, we're told, shows Iran moving military equipment. Um, U.S. officials say it's either Iran uh, trying to secure its weapons, hide them from the U.S. from a potential strike, or preparing to launch its own attacks. Yeah. Which do you think is more likely? I think it's preparatory by the Iranians. But by, by the way, I see a fundamental parallel here between what we're seeing now with this intelligence and what the what the guys in the White House probably saw with the intelligence about Soleimani. That is, interpreting intent into in intelligence is very difficult. If he's moving around, as the president said, does that mean he's planning something or does that mean he's got some time on his, hand, his hands and he's meeting a lot of people? Hard to find intent. And General, based on the intelligence, we are told uh, the U.S. is watching for potential attacks against American sites and American interests, diplomatic and military in Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, the UAE and Jordan. Um, Does the U.S. I mean, one of the one of the problems about being spread all over the world is you have to then defend yourself all over the world. Does the U.S. have the capability to do that, not just with the military bases or the embassies and consulates, but business interests. Well, I think that's the point. The military bases, frankly, are not at risk. Those are at high states of readiness. They are all the time. And I would say they've probably ratcheted that up. So those are well protected. I'm more concerned about the commercial interests. Exxon Mobil or whatever. That exist in Jordan, um, that exist in other places throughout the, uh, the Mideast. Those become very likely targets, as do consulates and embassies that might have a, not a reduced level of readiness. Certainly everybody's on high alert, but a capability to respond. 
And Phil, uh, this afternoon, uh, Defense Secretary Esper gave the most detailed description of the alleged imminent attack that led to the strike against Soleimani. Take a listen. The attack Soleimani was planning, was that days or weeks away? I think it's more fair to say days for sure. When I asked Pompeo that, he said days, weeks, it's irrelevant if you're going to be one of one of the victims. Um, we still haven't seen any evidence for any of this, though. Well, well, first, you're not going to see evidence. I know this sounds like I'm dancing on a pin. Intel guys don't do evidence. They do intel, which typically doesn't reach the level that you can present in a courtroom. It is what I think, not what I know. That's why I think you're not seeing the guys report the intel from defense or state of the White House, because I suspect when we see it, there's an air gap between, yeah, it's days away, it's imminent, and what an expert might look at and say, well, that's troublesome, but I'm not sure really whether you can interpret in- imminent through that. I think there's probably differences of interpretation right now. Can I, can I pile on that for a second? I mean, exactly. I mean, the description that you had early on, whether this is preparation for the Iranians to execute to attack, attack or to hide their weapons or yeah. to protect themselves. That's a distinction without a difference because you can attack from either one of those postures, to your point. And and by the way, watch when this comes out, the air gap between what the intel people write and what the politicians say. You will never see a bigger difference between the written word and the spoken word than over the next week or two. A top Democrat uh, on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, uh, Bob Menendez in New Jersey, uh, said that the last thing the American people need is another WMD moment. In other words, the idea that Intel says this is <clears throat> Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. It turns out they don't. Um, that's a, it seems like fa- a fair concern. Very much so. I mean, if we were to take this challenge that we see today, this thing could cascade into where Iraq, if we walk away because we're told to go away, we're going to still stay in the region. But Iraq could descend into some type of a civil war if the Shias try to take over, try to push Tehran away or at the same time try to embrace them. The Kurds and the Sunnis are going to completely break away. You're going to see some type of a civil war. And what's the, what are the Saudis going to do? They're going to go buy nukes from the Pakistanis right. because Iran's developing them. That's an out- outcome we do not want. Uh, thanks so much for your expertise. Both of you appreciate it, General Marks uh, and Phil Mudd. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he has the votes needed to set the ground rules for the impeachment trial in the Senate. How that might mean case closed without hearing from a star witness. Stay with us. In our politics lead today, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he has the votes to push through his rules for the president's impeachment trial in the Senate without any support of any Democrats. And that could mean the public does not hear testimony from John Bolton or any witnesses during the Senate trial. This all coming as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now as we learn new details on the scramble in the White House over Bolton, Trump's former national security advisor, announcing that he's willing to testify. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announcing today he has the votes to set the ground rules of the impeachment trial without the support of Democrats. We have the votes uh, once the impeachment trial has begun to pass a resolution. McConnell only needs 51 senators. And potential swing votes like Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney have all backed his approach. Though Republicans are still waiting on Speaker Pelosi to send the articles of impeachment to the Senate. It continues to be my hope that the Speaker will send them on over. Sources say Pelosi has been so secretive about what she'll do, she hasn't even told some of her closest allies, like Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. Democrats say they want a deal up front to hear from witnesses. A demand that has only intensified after the former national security advisor, John Bolton, said he's prepared to testify if subpoenaed. 
That announcement sent White House aides scrambling, sources say. Several of Trump's top advisors were in a meeting and watched the news of Bolton's announcement break on television. First of all, the articles of impeachment haven't been sent to the Senate yet, so we can't even start talking about who or if people will will testify. Despite him having firsthand knowledge of the hold on the aid, Trump claimed today Bolton wouldn't know what they were talking about if he testified. Well, that's going to be up to the lawyers. It'll be up to the Senate, uh, and we'll see how they feel. Uh, he would know nothing about what we're talking about. But the move puts new pressure on Republican lawmakers to eventually call witnesses, which they've been reluctant to do so far. We're not foreclosing that. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. We'll see. Now, Jake, the president said he didn't think John Bolton would know much if he did testify in that Senate impeachment trial, but actually Bolton could reveal a lot. Not only did he meet privately, privately with the president, urging him to release this aid, he also was involved in that meeting with the Ukrainians here at the White House and also met with the Ukrainian leader Zelensky while in Ukraine at one point overseas. So certainly uh, no shortage of information that he could share with those senators. Yeah, he sounded the alarm internally, saying that he didn't want any part of the drug deal that some of them were cooking yep. up on the Ukraine scandal. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell sits on both the House Intelligence Committee and the House Judiciary Committee. He joins me now. Congressman, thanks for joining us. So sources tell CNN that Pelosi, the speaker, has not looped in her closest allies, including Senate Minority Leader Schumer, on her plans to hand over the impeachment articles. Meanwhile, McConnell says he has the votes to start the trial with no witnesses uh, if he if they so decide. With all due respect, this leverage gambit does not seem to have worked. Well, he should still just do the right thing. I, I, you know, having the votes is one thing, but if you have a key witness that the House was not able to obtain, who is now saying he's willing to come forward, the right thing seems to be, well, let's hear from this witness. Should the House call Bolton to testify if the Senate does not do the right thing, in your view, and subpoena him? Yeah, I'll leave that to the Speaker and Mr. Schiff. I think right now, though, the Senate you know, has an opportunity to assure the Speaker that the American people and the President will get a fair trial, which includes hearing from a key witness like John Bolton. I personally think, Jake, that we put forward enough evidence uh, to warrant uh, removal. Uh, but if senators have questions about any gaps in the evidence because the president told witnesses to not come forward, well, now you have a witness who is willing to come forward. Democratic Senator Doug Jones of Alabama said he's ready for Pelosi to send over the impeachment articles to the Senate. He told CNN, quote, I'm hoping they will come over here soon. I think most people are ready to get moving on this. Is it time, sir? Is it time for Pelosi to hand over the articles of impeachment? I think it's time for Leader McConnell to say that the American people will get a fair trial. And I just, you know, Jake, I cannot understand why you would say we're not going to have this witness come forward. Now, I also don't understand why John Bolton doesn't just tell the American people uh, what he has. Other people who worked for him came forward and the president did not uh, ultimately block them. So, you know, Mr. Bolton, Don McGahn, other people who have followed lawless orders by the president, it's not like the president has a mute button and will just stop them from speaking. They can actually do a real service to the American people and tell us what they know. Well, when it comes to the question of why not have new witnesses come forward, uh, an argument that we're hearing from Republican senators is that the House should have called those witnesses during the impeachment inquiry. And if they resisted, take them to court and force their testimony. Senator, yeah. Senator Marco Rubio said, quote, the testimony and evidence considered in a Senate impeachment trial should be the same testimony and evidence the House relied on when they passed the articles of impeachment. Our job is to vote on what the House passed, not to conduct an open ended inquiry. W what's your response? Uh, well, first, John Bolton said that he was going to go to the courts uh, and fight us there. And he even said that in his statement 
uh, yesterday if we subpoenaed him in the House. But I think the biggest difference the American people should know is that the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court presides over the Senate hearing. And so if he were to rule that a witness is relevant, you could conclude that if you did go to the courts, the leader of the Supreme Court is telegraphing how the courts would probably rule. So that's probably telling you you should just testify. That's a big difference than what we had in the House. I guess I wonder just like what world you guys live in if you think that Supreme Court Chief Justice uh, John Roberts is going to get his robe dirty with uh, the political tenor of this or Mitch McConnell is going to feel in any way pressured uh, to, to do the trial the way House Democrats want to do it when this is a guy that wouldn't even have a hearing for Merrick Garland. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand you live in a world uh, where you think things should be in a certain way, but that's not the world that I live in. Yeah, well, I, I live in a world where these senators have constituents to answer to, and my hope is that they will be calling their senators and saying, in any trial, when you have a witness come forward who has seen a lot, who called uh, this Ukraine scheme a drug deal, uh, you should allow that person to testify. I, I hope the phones are ringing right now and senators are still persuaded by what their constituents actually think. Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, who's running for president, Democrat of Massachusetts, she told me on Sunday uh, that she thinks it's fair to raise the question as to whether or not this attack on Soleimani was ordered by President Trump to, to change the subject from impeachment. Uh, I thought that that was a stunning allegation. What do you think? I don't believe that there is an intelligence to justify uh, the imminence uh, rhetoric that the president has put forward. I've reviewed uh, the evidence. I, I don't see what the administration uh, is putting forward. I also believe that it's a dramatic escalation that makes American troops uh, much, uh, much more uh, in harm's way. I think it was reckless. Uh, and I want to see more from the administration. And, and Speaker Pelosi has announced that this week uh, we're going to put forward in the House uh, some restrictions through our war powers uh, war powers uh, abilities. Do you think the president was doing the proverbial wag the dog? I, I will just say he didn't make us safer. And the intelligence uh, that I've seen does not uh, suggest that there was any imminent attack uh, coming. And uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that, Jake. Congressman Eric Swalwell, thank you so much. We always appreciate My your time. Thanks. Senate Republicans now appear they'll start the impeachment trial without a promise to call witnesses. But can they ignore John Bolton raising his hand? To speak, stay with us. In our politics lead today, despite the curveball thrown by former National Security Advisor John Bolton when he expressed a willingness to testify at the Senate impeachment trial, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell claims he has the votes he needs to set the ground rules for the trial without Democratic support and possibly without witnesses, including Bolton. Democrats were, of course, hoping that Bolton's announcement would sway enough vulnerable, vulnerable Republicans to vote in support of allowing witnesses. McConnell now says... Those matters will be dealt with after opening statements, which could, of course, theoretically mean never. So let's talk about all this. Uh, Nayera, um, what chances do Democrats have to get witnesses, especially Bolton, once the trial starts? Well, listen, the pressure that the Democrats are putting on is putting on a body that they don't directly control. So that's the Senate. It ultimately will be up to the senators and whatever pressure the American public. I will say, though, that Bolton not appearing before the House and now saying he's willing to appear for the Senate does open the door for someone like Chairman Schiff to say, OK, well, we want to invite you back. Uh, there's still some questions and there's continuing either investigations or whatever the reason is. Um, but to bring Bolton in and have a deeper discussion about uh, what how Trump develops foreign policy and also what the engagement has been ongoing with Russia and Ukraine. So there's still an opportunity for the House here to hold, bring John Bolton into this, but I don't think they could force anything out of the Senate. So there's what should happen, and theoretically, let's, let's just pause it for a second, Scott. You're close with McConnell. Theoretically, that, that Bolton should testify. Are you surprised at how much the Democrats have not been 
flooding the offices or the airwaves surrounding the, de- the Republicans who might be vulnerable, such as Susan Collins in Maine or Cory Gardner uh, in Colorado or Martha McSally in Arizona, not pressuring them in any effective way? No, I'm not surprised because the, the, the game here has been clear from the beginning. They don't really care about removing the president. They just care about using impeachment as a hyperpartisan political tool that they think will you know, score some points in the upcoming election. They never had a prayer, in my opinion, of leveraging whatever that meant, anything against any of these Republicans. Look, these Republicans have eyes and ears. They can see what's going on here. And most of these senators have already formed an opinion about this, and that's not going to change. I mean, John Bolton, this issue today, he was so important. It's so important we hear from Bolton that they never even subpoenaed him in the House. And now they're on TV arguing that Mitch McConnell needs to drag him in. The whole thing has been ridiculous from start to finish. Take a listen to a comment made by um, Senator Pat Roberts of Kansas. He's a friend of Bolton's, uh, is a Republican. He made the point that Bolton's a private citizen. Theoretically, he can talk anytime he wants. Take a listen. No reason that John Bolton can't just say something publicly right now. So uh, I've never known him not to say something. This has been a bit of a bizarre sort of game of cat and mouse or where's Waldo or catch me if you can, whatever sort of reference you want to make to to John Bolton, uh, essentially uh, now saying I will testify if if I I get a subpoena, probably understanding that it's not likely that he's necessarily going to get a subpoena uh, from the Senate. He can go before the cameras anytime. He can sit down uh, with the television uh, anchor like Jake Tapper and and say all he wants to say. Yeah, I mean, he obviously He's on Twitter all the time as well. So it's it's unclear why he feels like uh, he wants to do this. So he said he was prepared to testify, which I interpret as being different than I will testify, because mm-hmm. the point that was just made is right on. You can just write it all down and send it over in a letter. You could do anything, right. but he hasn't done that. And and so I think he anticipates maybe if he did get a subpoena from anybody that the White House would then try to invoke executive privilege and there'd be a court fight and so on and so forth. So I actually looked at his statement a little differently than I think it's being interpreted today, which is prepared to testify is different than chomping it. He, he also doesn't want to get caught up in that whole uh, back and forth of who's standing for rule of law and who's getting in the way of rule of law. So by saying that he's willing to co- comply with the subpoena and come forward, he takes himself out of the conversation, which is ultimately... Nancy Pelosi and Speaker saying they abided by rule of law. They want the Senate to do the same. Chairman Rogers, forgetting the political maneuvering here, okay, and subpoenas and how, don't you want to just know what he has to say? Don't, as an American, don't you think it's of interest what John Bolton has to say? I'm clearly, and I would have liked to have heard it through a reasonable, rational process. If they're going to impeach a president, the House should have done a thorough job, mm. candidly. You think that they were rushed? They said they were rushed. They said, we're in a hurry. we got to get this done before Christmas. we got packages to buy and stuff to wrap. I mean, we're talking about the impeachment of a president and overturning the vote of 60 million people. That should not be taken lightly. Even if you think he's guilty, that to me means you go the extra mile. You don't shorten it up. I think what Bolton's doing is basically this. He's saying to the Senate, I completely agree with where you're going on this, hey, I'll come in and testify if you can make it happen, number one. <laughs> he's, tr- he's trying to do two things. Tell the institutional national security uh, folks out there, I did the right thing. I abided by uh, executive privilege. Oh, by the way, uh, Senate, United States Senate, I did say I would come in and testify for you all if you could make it happen. I think this is just about preserving where he wants to go in the future. I don't think this is a serious, I'm I'm ready to come up and drop the bomb and drop the mic and walk out and the president gets uh, voted guilty. I I just don't believe that. And again... The longer this goes, I went back to Michigan and I had some business in San Francisco over the holidays. 
I'll start with San Francisco because these were self-proclaimed anti-Trump Democrats yeah. who were telling me, I don't get this all looks messy and it looks political. These are people who don't like Trump right. 20 minutes after they go to sleep and 20 minutes before they get up in the morning. And they were adamant about it. And I, my argument is the longer this goes, uh, I think the more political it is and more of those kinds of folks you're going to rope into this notion like this is all just Washington, D.C. being Washington. Everyone stick around. we got more to talk about coming up next. How Joe Biden today tried to seize on the Iran crisis and President Trump's decision to order a deadly strike. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead today, in what may be his most pointed attack yet, former Vice President Joe Biden delivered a speech solely dedicated to slamming President Trump's handling of Iran and overall foreign policy, calling Mr. Trump dangerously incompetent and incapable of world leadership. What we've heard so far from this president are tweets, threats, and tantrums. This is a president with the history of lying about virtually everything, who has destroyed his own credibility and that of the United States uh, on the global stage. CNN's Arlette Sines joins me now. At one point, Biden was essentially giving Trump a play-by-play of how to act presidential. Yeah, that's right, Jake. And Joe Biden, this was really one of his most stinging rebukes yet of the president. As you mentioned, he said that his foreign policy was dangerously incompetent. And Biden, as he stood there with those American flags standing behind him, he issued a challenge to President Trump, insisting that he must provide an explanation for his strategy and evidence that there was actually an imminent threat when he decided to order the strike against Iran's top general. Take a listen to what Biden had to say. Mr. President, you have to explain your decision and your strategy to the American people. That's your job as president, Mr. President, not dear leader, not supreme leader. You're required to work with Congress, Mr. President. You're required to abide by the War Powers Resolution, Mr. President. And you cannot pursue war with Iran without consent and authority from Congress. Now, at one point in the speech, Biden even said that President Trump hasn't demonstrated any presidential gravitas and that he, Joe Biden, was attempting to do just that. And that gets at the heart of what this speech was about. It wasn't just taking on and criticizing President Trump, but it was providing an opportunity for Biden to try to present himself as someone who can step into the role of commander in chief on day one if he's elected president. Now, Biden has a very long foreign policy record, which he likes to tell, but it's also come under some criticism, particularly particularly from his Democratic rivals like Bernie Sanders, who are critical of Biden's vote on in back in 2002 on the Iraq war. But certainly foreign policy has now been thrust front and center to this campaign. And these candidates are con- going to continue to make their case as we get closer to the caucuses. Jake. Arlette Sines, thank you so much. Appreciate it. One week from now, the last debate before the Democratic Iowa caucuses, the CNN presidential debate in partnership with the Des Moines Register. You can watch it live next Tuesday at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern here on CNN. A string of powerful earthquakes in Puerto Rico in a matter of minutes. We're live there with what's being done to help the people on that island still struggling from those two hurricanes. Stay with us. In our national lead today, back-to-back earthquakes in Puerto Rico, and today's may have been the most damaging in a century. The 6.4 magnitude earthquake hit the U.S. island overnight. We know at least one person was killed, a 77-year-old man. This came after a 5.8 quake yesterday. CNN's Leila Santiago toured damage in some of Puerto Rico's hardest hit areas. 
The crippling aftermath of earthquake after earthquake hitting Puerto Rico, a historic church, much of it reduced to rubble, a coastal landmark collapsing, a hospital evacuated, beds lining the street, homes rocked off their foundations and widespread power outages. The church in Guayanilla in the town is destroyed. The homes, the cars underneath homes, it's chaos. And we'll go. The governor declaring a state of emergency with hundreds of thousands of customers without drinking water on an island that has been already struggling in the more than two years since hurricanes Irma and Maria. The 6.4 quake, believed to be the most damaging in more than 100 years, hit while most were asleep. One man died in a wall collapse. Others were hurt. And then a powerful aftershock, forcing news anchors at CNN affiliate WAPA to leave the set. The USGS estimates more than 400,000 people felt strong to very strong shaking amid a flurry of seismic activity in recent days, including another damaging 5.8 quake just yesterday. And now, they're dealing with more terrifying aftershocks. Many still have never recovered from the hurricanes. Much aid still has not made its way to the island. He's saying after Hurricane Maria, he still had hope and they were able to recover, but not with this, he says. Tonight, Puerto Rico's governor says $130 million in emergency aid has been made available. We're talking about a situation Puerto Rico had never been exposed to in 102 years. And Jake, I want to paint the picture of the destruction here. You see this house right there? Uh, that is the home of a man named Manolo. He shared uh, what this looked like just 24 hours ago. I want to show you the picture because it doesn't even look like the same house, but it really tells the story of the level of destruction that they're seeing here, which explains why so many people have said that Hurricane Maria, for them, uh, was not as bad as this was here in the southern part of the island. Layla Santiago reporting from Puerto Rico. Layla, thank you so much. Stay safe. Our sub coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.